Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. I've got a confession to make today, and I'll probably say it many times, but over the period of being a Christian, I haven't been the greatest of prayers. I, I love to spend time reading the Word and studying and, and worshipping and a whole lot of other things, but my disciplined life of prayer uh, hasn't been that great. And I don't know about you, but if I pray at night, I fall asleep. If I pray in the morning, my mind wanders onto all the things I've got to do that day. And um, so when the preaching roster came up and I was on the topic of prayer, I thought, ah, great, you know, how do I do this? Well, I do it by being honest and by being real, okay? And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to be real with you. But sometimes, you know, sometimes I do have just some amazing experiences in prayer. So let me tell you about one. Last Tuesday at our faith community dinner, after dinner we have a community connect group, which is probably somewhere between 10 and 15 people that stay back and uh, we do a Bible study and pray for one another. Anyway, one of the guys uh, who's been wanting for a long time to give up smoking, he came to me at the end and he said, Paul, can you pray for me again? I really, really want to give up smoking. And I I just felt to say to him, no, look, Mark, I'm not going to pray for you this time. I want you to pray. And I want you to tell God what's on your heart and why, why you want this. And I want you to ask God what you can do about it. What What is he going to say to you? Just say, speak to me about it, Lord. Tell me about it. Tell me how I could I can go about this. Anyway, he starts praying, God, you know, I'd love to give up smoking. And then he starts praying in tongues. And if you don't know what that is, it's, you know, one of the gifts of the Spirit and a, a prayer language that is one that isn't learned, but, you know, it's a, it's a way of expressing yourself to God. It's a, a form of prayer. And he starts speaking in tongues. And while he was doing that, I felt distinct impression from God to say to him, that's how you're going to give up smoking. Every time you feel the urge, speak in tongues. Anyway, when he'd finished, I said to him, what did God say to you, Mark? And he said, every time I feel the urge to smoke, I've got to speak in tongues, you know? And I said, that's what he told me, the exact same thing. That's fantastic. And, you know, sometimes isn't it great when you when you sort of hear something from God and it gets confirmed and so on. But, you know, there are two aspects to prayer life, isn't there? There's that sort of thing. And then there's the discipline of praying for a family member who doesn't know the Lord and praying day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, sometimes decades. But that faithful knocking on the door of of the the, the father and saying, God, I'm just reminding you about this, you know. But the last thing I want to do today, the very last thing, is to make prayer a like a burdensome thing and to put some sort of law out there that tells you about when to pray and how to pray. I've, I've sat under a lot of that. And to be honest, I've, you know, it's good. Like I really glean things from it. But at the end of the day, when my prayer life doesn't match that, I feel under 
conviction and guilt and this sort of thing, you know. But today I, I want us to be set free, you know. I want this to be a freeing kind of thing. I want you to know why we're free to pray and to experience that freedom to pray and, and the desire and the want to do it. So we've been doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, uh, the God-man who who uh, represented God to man and, and represented man to God. God in, in dying for our sin. Jesus, the greatest teacher, gave his greatest message, the message which has impacted more people in this world than any other message, the message which has uh, changed nations and been written into law and and just had a huge impact on the history of the world that's what we've been looking at and you know we we really need to take heed to this but i i want us to realize that the Sermon on the Mount wasn't a new set of rules and regulations and laws. It wasn't Jesus saying, you've heard it said this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and it's much harder than the Old Testament law was. You know, the Old Testament has 613 rules and regulations. The Jews call them the mitzvot, or the 613 laws of the Old Testament. And uh, not only do they have that, they have a whole lot of other laws, which, you know, one law is thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, how do you do that? Well, you need a whole lot of other laws, don't you, to tell you how to do that. And so they've, they, as well as the Torah, the Jewish law, they have another set of books called the Talmud. And the Talmud would fill a whole bookcase. That's how many books it is of thick laws, rules and regulations that the rabbis wrote down the years to expand on the original law and to uh, guide them in their daily life. So for example, one of them, you know, if you're going to keep the Sabbath day holy and not do any work, well, how do you go about toiletry, you know? Are you allowed to tear off the toilet roll paper, um, you know? Is that work? Is that doing work? So you think, you know, it's actually in the Talmud. tells you how to do this and what the law is about toilet paper. Now, is that how you want to live your life? It's not how I want to live my life. Oh, what are the rules about toilet paper? I've forgotten again, you know, you, because you just come under the result of that kind of life is a life of guilt and shame and condemnation and just always feeling, you know, rotten about yourself and so on. But isn't it great to know Jesus? And look, I am not saying today, I don't want you to get me wrong today. I am not saying that Christians should be lawbreakers, rule breakers, not have any boundaries or guidelines to their life. I am not saying that at all. I think Christians should be the most law abiding, the, the best citizens, the best, you know, the best behaved and, and so on. We, that should be us, but not because we're obeying a set of rules. It comes out of the life change that we've had because we've had an experience of Jesus. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit and so coming from inside out, we have this desire to love God and love people and that beats law any day. Are you with me? You're with me. Good. That beats law. Just love God. If you give your life over to loving God, you know, you, you, whatever way you can do that, um, you know, being here at church today is an expression of your love for God. It's not a law that's been imposed on you. It's an expression of your desire to come and worship God um, because it's an internal thing. And let me say this. 
this is my observation about Australian society, that as our society has disregarded and pushed aside its Christian foundations, we have become more and more law-oriented or orientated, which is an external thing. Where once, you know, 98% of Australians said they were Christian and at least had some adherence to, to the worship of God and many of them did have a relationship with him, we, you know, we're down to what's the current census, 44%, I think, say they are, and it's a much lower number than that in reality who are actually, I would say, born-again Christians. But because of that, our society, because we don't have a society that is filled with people who want to do the right thing, who want to be good citizens, who want to obey the law and to um, honour God and love people, because we don't have that anymore, because that's decreasing, we need to maintain order in our society and the way we do that is by what? Lawmaking, making more and more and more laws. And these current laws which are needed most definitely around the relationship between men and women and the expression of our sexuality would not be needed if we were a nation of believers who, out of our love for God and our love for each other, men respected women. And women respected men and we treated each other with integrity and with love and we, we showed that kind of respect that doesn't force anything on anyone. Are you with me? Can you see I'm passionate about this? Because I believe that the church should not be a bunch of law keepers but of love givers. That's who we are. We're not law keepers, we're love givers. So let's come to this Matthew chapter 6 now about prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is in unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I want to say firstly this about prayer, about this idea of prayer. Jesus there, by the way, is not saying don't ever pray in public. Don't pray in your connect groups. You know, don't pray public. He's not saying that. He's saying, what's your heart? Watch out for your motivation when you pray. Are you really talking to God or are you big noting yourself in front of others and trying to make out something that you're something that you're not? But, you know, God's got a sense of humour in this because uh, do, you, do you ever experience a sense of humour in God? I do. I reckon he's got a great sense of humour because my cultural background is British. I, I was born there. I lived there till I was 10 and we were a very reserved bunch, you know. We weren't uh, like certain other southern European cultures that are very expressive and, you know, when I, when I first married my wife and I came from a family which didn't have fights because we just swept things under the carpet, when I saw how my wife's sort of Mediterranean family interacted, I said are your parents okay? Like, are they going to divorce or something? No, that's just how we solve issues. We talk about it, we fight, we argue, and then we move on. 
But my background was very British. We don't communicate very much at all. We just things that are functional, pass the pepper, please, you know, that sort of thing. I can't ever remember even having one really deep conversation with my dad, never, you know. And so I think God's got a sense of humour putting me up here to tell you how to talk to your heavenly father because that's not my culture. My culture isn't wasn't a very communicative one. But when it comes to culture as well, we as a group have sort of a culture of prayer and worship. And you know what? It is definitely different to our African International Fellowship who on Sundays meet at 12 o'clock in that room there. And last week, as you can see on the right there, they actually had a uh, big seminar where churches came from Sydney, Wollongong, Brisbane and joined with them in an African style of prayer, praise and worship. Went for four hours. Two hours of it was worship, which is a form of prayer, and two hours was preaching and listening to the word, which is also a form of prayer because that's God talking to us. So take a look at this and think, is their culture different to ours? Have a look at this video. Come on, get up and let's give it a go. Come on. <laughs> nah, you know I'm just joking. <laughs> I think I jumped twice and then I went, oh, you know, that's, that's a bit, bit much. <laughs> you know, look, our culture of relating to God is different, isn't it, according to our background, and many things impact that. The other th reason I think God has a sense of humour, have a look on the left up there. That's uh, last weekend Audrey and I took six of our grandkids down to Sydney to see Mary Poppins, the musical, and it was great. But there's a song at the start of Mary Poppins where um, she sings and others sing, um, I'm practically perfect in every way. If you've seen Mary Poppins, you'll know that song, I'm practically perfect, and she is, you know, she's sort of supposed to be perfect, and she does miracles and all sorts of things. And I, I just think sometimes, like I, this is where I started to, today's message, that the church thinks that the pastors are practically perfect in every way. But we're not, you know, we're not. We're just normal people. The pastors of this church, normal people. We have strengths, we have weaknesses, we have uh, things in our background that we're still working out. You know, it took me years to work out um, neglect and rejection from my family. But but God has been working in me for years, like overcoming many, many things. But like I said, I think God's got a sense of humour in that he's, he's put me up today to talk to you about prayer. And so you're saying, get on with it. And so, okay, let's do that. Let's get on to prayer. <laughs> okay, prayer and fatherhood. We were just talking about this. Matthew 6.6, 6, pray to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 6.9, our Father who art in heaven. Very Jesus made it very clear. We come to God as a Father. And no matter what your experience of your earthly Father was, 
whether it was a, the kind of communicative father that um, that gave you lots of hugs and kisses, like the one on the left up there, whether it was a father who sat down with you and talked to you about many things and taught you things, whether it was a father like the one on the right up there who when things went wrong, like you got a punctured tyre on your bicycle or things were going wrong at school, whether they sat down with you and worked things through, whether that's the case or not, we need to know that there is a perfect Heavenly Father. We cannot excuse ourselves on the basis of, well, God, you know, my earthly father, so that's why I don't really talk to you much or tell you things. You know, he's perfect and he loves you to bits. He wants any love that we have that beats law is because he loved us first. And he pours his love into our love tank within us so that when we know that we're genuinely loved and cherished and we're the apple of his eye, we can then love others out of the depth of his love for us. And that's why when we come to church, it's so important. We enter in to worship and we just get this sense, God, you are so great and but and yet you love us. You have so much love for us. So text without a context is a pretext. Now, I often, I'll illustrate this by saying that when someone tells me a bit of a story and I think it's, um, to use Australian vernacular, a bit of a porky pie, you know that what that means, it's just stretching the truth a little bit. Um, when somebody does that, I often quote this scripture, I will accept no bull from your house. Now, that scripture was not meant the Australian way we think of bull, you know, don't give me that bull. We'll stop there with bull. But it was about offering up bulls and offerings and blood sacrifices and so on. So it's easy to take a scripture out of context. So to put prayer into the context of what Jesus was teaching, let's realise that in chapter 5, he had said, I came not to get rid of the law, what we've talked about, all the rules and regulations, but to fulfil the law. And we can accept that maybe Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws. So all of the laws out of those 613 that related to offering bulls and goats and sacrifices and wave offerings and this offering and that offering and the three great festivals of tabernacles and Pentecost and Passover, we don't, you know, Jesus fulfilled all of that. And that's rightly so. We could even be forgiven for thinking that Jesus fulfilled the civic laws the ones that were about how we relate to other people. So how do we treat someone who's a a murderer? What about someone who's accidentally killed or hurt someone? What about when your bull escapes into the next paddock and ruins the farmer's crop? What happens there? There are laws like, there are lots of laws like that in the Old Testament. They're the civic laws. And we could think, yeah, well, you know, but a lot of them don't apply anymore, like most of them don't apply. So we, we don't really need to follow that, although the basis of our our own laws are the Judeo-Christian tradition. We could come at that, but when it comes to the personal ethical laws, like the Ten Commandments, Christians tend to go something like, yeah, but the Ten Commandments, they still, they're binding, you know, Binding. You hear that word? Binding. You know what that says? They're actually binding you. They are, they're stopping you from freedom. They're binding upon us. And I'm not saying the Ten Commandments aren't good, but I'm saying this that today, if you think that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus 
said, I've come to fulfill the law and then gave a whole lot more rules and regulations. Right, here's the rules about praying. Here's the rules about giving. Here's the rules about looking after the poor. That's not what he was doing at all. He was saying that you can never keep the law, any of these laws, not the ceremonial, not the civic, not the ethical, and that's why I have come to take the penalty for all of humanity's inability to keep the law, all the law, all the law, not just part of it, all of it, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the ethical law. And so that's a very freeing thing because Jesus paid the penalty. And what is our response? Our response is to love him. And how do we love him? We worship, we adore, we thank him, and then we love each other. That's a part of the deal that out of that love that he pours into us, we love each other. And then we don't need all these other laws. We don't need minute laws about how to love one another and how to treat each other and how to do this and how to do that because we innately, by the Holy Spirit within us, who activates our conscience and Jesus living within us, um, who gives us a whole new person where we become a new being, a new creation. Out of that we live. Out of that we know. Out of that we are respectful. Out of that we are loving. Out of that we are kind. Not out of some sense of obligation to keep a set of rules and regulations but out of a sense of God's grace and his mercy and his love for us. How does that impact prayer? Well, it impacts like this. So the best thing I've ever learned about praying, which really helps me in my prayer life, was this Acts formula of Acts. And, you know, if Jesus taught this in the Gospels, then the book of Acts should show how the church lived out his teachings, including his teachings on prayer. And so as you read through the book of Acts, you see, and, and you see it in the Lord's Prayer as well, as you can see up there, adoration. Adoration is a part of prayer. When we come before him and worship him and love him in song and we just say, God, you are good, when we get a glimpse of his glory and his goodness and his greatness, then we respond in adoration. Lord, you are holy, you are beautiful, you are worthy. And the good thing about starting there, entering his gates with thanksgiving and praise and adoration of who he is, the good thing is about starting there is that all of a sudden we go, Wow, God, you are all of that and I'm not. I, I fall so far short of your glory that I, I'm just humbled here, God, and I need to confess that I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your love. God, I, I just confess that I fall short of who you are and who you want me to be. So confession, but confession can mean two things, can't it? Confession can also mean confess the word. I'm forgiven. I am a child of God. I am loved by the Father. You can confess I'm healed. I'm restored. By his stripes I am healed, you know. You can confess the word of God as well and we need to do that. We, that leads us as we adore God, we led into that confession and that leads us into thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, I'm forgiven. I have this beautiful group of people called the church. Thank you, Lord, that I have the privilege of, of talking to you freely and openly without guilt and shame and fear. Thank you, Lord, for everything in my life that's good. Thanks for my kids. Thanks for my family. Thanks for the fact that I wake up every morning and breathe and live and 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 I can know you and your forgiveness every day. Thanksgiving. And then after all of that, 
we go, by the way, God, I just want to remind you about my mum who's not saved. I want to remind you about my child who is sick. God, I, I just want to pray for the church. I, Lord, I, I want to remind you about you know, Pastor Sue and others who really need our prayer and our support because those things that we bring to him in asking, in supplication, come after a whole lot of other things. Don't put them first. And by saying that, again, I'm not just laying on a law. I'm saying what I believe Jesus said, if you know me, if you are saved, if you're born again, if you're filled with the Spirit, this is what the kingdom of God will look like as you live it out. This is what it will look like. The kingdom of God will look like this. And then this is what it won't look like. First of all, it won't be hypocritical. Pastor Sue told us last week that a hypocrite is a word that comes from Greek and it means an actor or a role player. And the two Greek words, it's a compound noun, English teachers for your sake, the two Greek words that it's based on mean, and I want to get this right, an interpreter from underneath. So what they did, the Greek plays were like ethical, moral teaching plays. They were meant to teach a certain moral or a certain ethic. And the way they did that was the actors wore masks. They put a mask on and they role-played some story, a bit like our Aboriginal dreaming stories that teach morals and ethics and so on, and culture even. And so, but a hypocrite was someone who basically told what people to told people what to do from behind a mask so you couldn't see whether they did it or not. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend you've got it all together. If you come to me and just say, God, you know, there used to be this song, do you remember it? Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? If you come to me and just go, God, I want this, this, this and this, I need those things, and you've, you know, you haven't come to him in humble adoration and confession and thanksgiving, then probably there's a good chance that what you're going to ask him for might be a bit outside his will. But when you come out of that intimate knowledge of him, you'll be praying out of the knowledge of his will, not like the hypocrites who just wanted to tell people what to do. Secondly, don't be loquacious. Loquacious, what does that mean? English teachers, using many words. Being overly verbal and talking too long and I'm sorry, I've got two minutes and 47 left, so I won't be loquacious. Um, but yeah, just, just too many words, using too many words, just carrying on and on and on in prayer. Um, you think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. You know that story where the prophets of Baal were there and they were trying to bring down fire from heaven, so they danced all morning and they sang and they called on their God and, and so on and nothing happened. They used a lot of words. They were loquacious. And then Elijah said, it's my turn. Hey, God, would you bring down fire from heaven? He didn't need to dance around all morning. He just need to present his request to God. Present his request to God. Don't We don't need to carry on. And the third thing Jesus said, don't babble. Don't babble. When I was in Sydney two weekends ago, because Audrey and I took some of our grandkids to Vivid. Anyone see Vivid? How good was that? Well, some of us had a good experience and some were a bit crowded and, you know, a lot of people go to Vivid. But we took our grandkids to Vivid and in the middle of the crowd, like huge crowds, we're talking thousands of people, there was a group of um, Hare Krishna devotees. Now, have you seen the Hare Krishnas when they 
carry on their devotions, their devotional life. They dance and they sing and they say the same thing over and over and over. Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Hare. Back to the start, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Hare. And they just do it for hours, you know. It's just really like that's the babbling thing. You know, you don't, you, sure, we need to keep coming to God with our requests, but we don't babble. We don't just carry on like that with, with words that actually become meaningless. And so can I just say, um, Ian, flick on a couple of slides to the Lord's Prayer, please. Can I just say that when Jesus said, this then is how, how you should pray, he wasn't giving us, again, a formula to go, okay, I'll just say this over and over. I'll say this every day. And because what happens is it becomes meaningless. It loses meaning unless you come at this and really treat it meditatively. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Just the word hour. Have you ever thought to stop after the word hour? What does that say? We're no longer individual, singular, alone, isolated people. We're actually an hour. We are us, not I, me, my. We're us. This is our. It's a communal, a communal thing. We are a part of a community of people all over the world who know and love Jesus. And so if you come at the Lord's Prayer that way from a heart that just really wants to get behind it and, and sort of enter into it, you'll find it much more rewarding than just babbling it as a form of religious practice, let's say. I don't want to put anyone under law today. I want you to be free I want you to have a fresh experience of Jesus, of his grace, his love and his forgiveness. Have a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And so to do that, you know, any one of us can ask God, God, fill me with your spirit afresh. Give me a fresh experience and an understanding of what Jesus has done for me. And we, we need to live out of that intimacy. Let's live out of that intimacy with him, not out of just some slavish obedience to a set of rules. And the same with prayer. Let that prayer spring out of our intimacy with him. Let it be filled with adoration and confession and thanksgiving before we come to him and bring him our requests and bring him our needs. So can I say this? Something we've never done before. We sang about it in our songs today, that one day every knee will bow before Jesus and confess that he is Lord. Why wait till he returns to do that? You know, there are some people who are going to just fall to their knees and go, sorry, Jesus, I... I denied you all these years. But out the front here, I've got some cushions on the ground. And I've, I'm, I want to invite you, those who are willing and who, who would like to come at the end of this message. And while the band, the band can come up now, while the band uh, play and lead us in just some quiet worship, I invite you to come and kneel. You might come and kneel just in adoration, just come and kneel and just, just say, Lord, I adore you and focus on his goodness and greatness and love. You might want to come and kneel in confession. God, I've, I've fallen again. I recognise that I do the wrong thing, but I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. You might want to come in thanksgiving and just give thanks to God for all of the good things in your life. Or you might 
want to come and kneel and bring something of your request to him. Lord, my lost parents, Lord, my children who are walking away from the Lord, I just want to bring them to you again. And there are some chairs around the side as well and there are some comfortable chairs. There's some chairs over here in a circle uh, with facing outwards and some over here facing inwards as well. If you want to come with your spouse or your family or some friends and come and face inwards and do this communally you could do it communally or you might even like to just stay right where you are and just while the band plays just have a think about that what about starting to pray through the lord's prayer what about starting to starting in adoration and see where god leads you but but whatever you do don't think these are a bunch of laws that we've got to keep. They're not. These are expressions of the kingdom of God and uh, what it looks like. And so you might want to just come out and say, Jesus, be my Lord again. Be my king. Fill me with your spirit. Or you might do that from where you are. So let's stand. Let's just stand to our feet. And uh, prayer team, you can come out as well. There will be prayer team out uh, on the sides there for you to sit with or get some prayer from, uh, or you can just come and kneel at the front before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.